Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 10, page 525 of your Book of Praise. There we find a summary of God's Word as follows. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. After the sermon, we will sing together about how the Lord answers us even in our darkest hour. Psalm 138, stanzas 2 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the Catechism says that all things come by God's fatherly hand. There is nothing that is not under his control, including evil things, even the devil himself. You cannot attribute any occurrence or action, no matter how small or great, no matter how good or evil, apart from God's fatherly hands. Everything is in God's hands. That's very difficult for us to deal with at times. And that was especially difficult for Job after the horrible things that happened to him. Job tried to make sense of it all. He asks, why does this evil come upon me? What have I done to deserve this? Indeed, it's an old, an age-old question. Mankind has been struggling with that question for as long as evil has existed. The Catechism deals with that dilemma in Lord's Day 10. As it always does, it bases its answer on God's Word. And it's a beautiful answer. And we have heard it all before. But we need to hear it again and again. We need to hear it so that we can once again stand in awe of God and of His greatness and of the comfort of His Word. I've summarized this Lord's Day as follows. Everything is controlled by God's hand. Then we will first look at man's struggle with this, and then secondly, God's answer to this. Suppose you were an elder and you had to make a visit to Job right after the great disaster that came upon him. 
As you know, he just lost all his children in one fell swoop. And on top of that, he lost all his possessions one by one. To top it off, Job also became terribly ill with unseemly boils all over his body. How would you handle such a visit? What would you say to him, especially considering the bitter and angry words that we hear him utter in chapter 30, in the passage that we read together, and throughout the book of Job? Would you rebuke him? Would you try to set him straight and tell him not to be so angry and bitter? What would you say to him? Well, hopefully you would first listen carefully to what exactly he has to say. An elder or a friend who comes with his own agenda will do little or no good. That applies to all of us. If you don't know how to listen, you will, as the so-called friends of Job did, easily jump to conclusions and come with useless advice. It may well be that you say a lot of good and biblical things, but is it really the heart of the gospel? Are you really being helpful? Probably not. You need to be on the same wavelength as the other person. So let's try to do that with regard to Job. What exactly is he saying? It's quite shocking, isn't it? He says, terrors are turned upon me. Another translation says that they overwhelm him. And he blames God for that. And he says further, with great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like the color of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire or the muck and mud, and I become like dust and ashes. We can understand why Job, why Job is so distraught about what has happened to him. He's lost everything that is near and dear to him. He has nothing left. He does not even have his own wife or friends on the same wavelengths as him. They said things that were less than helpful. They were even hurtful. Instead of making things better, they made things worse. They said that these things must have happened to him because there is something wrong with him personally, that somehow he deserves it. He got what's coming to him. They do not come with anything specific, but they come to that conclusion from the circumstances that he finds himself in, that it must have been some secret sin. Job does not agree with his friends or with his wife. He doesn't think that they do him justice. One thing he does agree with, however, is that it is all God's doing. He does not look for an answer anywhere else. He is totally convinced that God is the one who is behind all this. But it is for that very reason that he bitterly complains to God. He says to him, you have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind, and you make me ride on it, and you toss me about 
in the roar of the storm. Job is angry at God. He doesn't understand why this is happening to him. He is not any greater sinner than anybody else. As a matter of fact, he did his best to live a godly life. He did his best to bring up his children in the fear of the Lord. He did his best to keep God's commandments and to worship him as he required. He was faithful to his wife. He even says in the following chapter that he made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully at other women. So why is this now happening to him of all people? Why does God smite him the way that he does? But Job does more than complain to God. He even accuses him. He can't understand why God doesn't help him. He says, look at what I did. Did I not weep? Did I not weep for him whose day was hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? The implication is that God is less compassionate than a man. In effect, Job says, I help others when they're down and out. How come you don't? Why are you so merciless? Indeed, brothers and sisters, that is the accusation you will also hear expressed by worldly people who ridicule the belief in God. They believe that they themselves are more compassionate than the God of the Christians. They ask, how could this God create such a world where there is so much pain and suffering? Why doesn't he help? Why does he allow it all to happen? How can you believe in such a God? They laugh at our confession in Lord's Day 10, which state that he is the one who upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. And they say, well, if that's true, I want nothing to do with such a God. If that's true, then he is a cruel God. He has no compassion. We people have more compassion than he does. At least we care. God doesn't care at all. I don't want to worship such a God. Thankfully, brothers and sisters, Job does not go that far. As I said, he seeks his answers with God. And so he does not reject God. But he does question him. Is that wrong? Well, he's not the only one who does that. Read through some of the Psalms, for example, and the accusations that we find there. Asaph, for example, also accuses God. He observes the lives of the unbelievers. He saw their prosperity and the fact that they had no struggles in their life. They can do whatever they want and even curse God while doing it, and yet God does not touch them. That's what he says in Psalm 73. He says in verses 14 and 13, All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. David, too, he complains to God, and he cries out. He says in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me 
from the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. But please note that when they do this, they do this while fully affirming the assistance of God. The question that God doesn't exist doesn't even come up in their minds. It does not even enter their mind to think that God is not behind the bad things that happen to them. They know that he rules all things. They know that he is in control. They know that nothing escapes his attention. And it is for that reason that they do address God. For they know only he can change their lot in life. That's why they cry out to him in the first place. And so once again, what would you say to Job when you visit him in the midst of his misery, what would you say to him now that you have heard him out? Well, no doubt you would sympathize with him and say that you cannot imagine the kind of pain that he is suffering, that it is terrible what happened to him, and that's good. People need to be heard. They need to be understood. Their pain needs to be expressed and acknowledged. But what about any expression of anger against God? Would you rebuke him for that? Well, be careful. Think about it. And brothers and sisters, if we do not have the right to speak to God about our plight, to whom then could we speak? To whom would you send up your complaints? Who do you think would really understand you? Your wife, your husband, your minister, your elder, your friend? Oh, sure, they'll have a lot of insight, but they will only have such a very small picture. And they can only offer so much help. They're so very limited. Can anybody here on earth actually help you? truly help you? There's only one that can, and that is God. There's only one who will be able to give you a satisfactory answer, and that is why we can also cry out to God and seek answers from Him. No doubt some people have to suffer much. Also, many of you here sitting in the pews for example, some suffer in childhood because of the abuse at the hands of a parent or a sibling or another relative or a friend of the family. And other people have chronic painful conditions or suffer in broken relationships. There's so much suffering going on. What do you say to such a person? That they cannot cry out to God and ask Him to answer them. And brothers and sisters, sometimes the need to express our anger and dismay to God is real. But when you do that, you must always do that in the knowledge that He is in control. No matter what. It's a matter of faith. Things are in His hands. All things. That's what the catechism says. 
on the basis of God's Word. And that's the comfort that we need to come with and that we need to have. And that's what the Lord God reminds Job of when he, remi- when he answers him. The second point. In chapter 40, we see that the Lord God heard every word that Job uttered. And now he also speaks to Job out of the storm and he answers him. And he puts it all into perspective for him. He wants Job, and especially Job's friend, to understand his greatness and his power and his majesty. He comes with this answer starting in chapter 38. And he says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. So he says, I was there from the very beginning. I'm the one who made it all happen, and I have never left. I've always been there, and I will always be there. And I know that everything that goes on here on this earth and in heaven, I know it all. There's absolutely nothing that escapes my attention. And so we we see that the Lord God takes full responsibility for everything that happens. He does not hide behind anyone or anything. He does not distance himself from Job's problems either. He does not shift Job's attention away from him. On the contrary, he wants Job to look right at him. At who he is. Job has to look God right in the eye, so to speak. It's hard. In times of trouble, we would rather not have God in the picture as the one who allowed it all to happen. We would rather have him removed from our troubles. We would rather not have a God who permits all the disasters and misery and pain and evil here on this earth. We do not want him connected to our illnesses, to our family problems, and to our pains and sufferings. We want a God who is responsible mostly for the good things and not the bad things. But God does not want to be removed out of the picture, especially not when you are in the midst of troubles. He doesn't mind that you engage him and that you question him. He doesn't mind that you cry out to him and challenge him to give you an answer. You can bring your complaints to him and come with your protests. He will accept that from you and me. For he also accepts that from Job and from others like David and Asaph. That's why he included it in his word. They dared to interrogate God as to his justice and mercy and compassion and to seek answers from him. But after your complaints to him, you'd also better listen to him when he answers you. There's a time for speaking, also a time for listening and reflection and meditation. The Lord is patient with you and me. He is patient with us so that we can understand who he is and so that we can put it all into perspective. 
Make no mistake about it, God listens to you and to me. As David says in Psalm 38, verse 9, O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. He listens to you and me, but he also gives us answers. He spoke to Job directly, but he doesn't need to do that with us. For he gives us all his answers in his wonderful book in the Bible. Study that book, and he will speak to you. Don't make a caricature of God. Don't make up your own answers. That's what a lot of people do. In one of his books, C.S. Lewis told the story of a wise barnacle that was sitting down at the bottom of the ocean attached to his rock. One day, he got a glimpse of what man is like, so he gathered around him his barnacle disciples and began to expound, expound upon the nature of man. He said, man has no shell, man is not attached to a rock, and man is not surrounded by water. After a while, a few of the barnacles got together and discussed what they should make of that knowledge to see what man is really like. They soon began to rationalize that since man has no shell, he must be a shapeless blob of jelly. And since man is not attached to a rock, it was quite obvious, so they thought, that he had no location where he lived. And since man was not surrounded by water as they were, it was reasonable to assume that man did not eat since he had nothing to float food to him. The barnacles therefore concluded that man was far less active and important than they were. From their viewpoint, from their environment and nature, they had, they had extrapolated an extremely limited and warped concept of man. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to our view of God, we are like those barnacles. And so before we open our mouth as we comfort someone with regard to their pain and sorrow, then we had better come with a true picture of God. And then we had better come with the comfort of God's word in its totality how God deals with his people, how he is the one who gives life, how he is the one who saves life, how he is the one who gives eternal life. Only God can truly comfort ye. Someone who is in the midst of despair does not need our criticism. He or she doesn't need to be made to feel guilty he or she doesn't need to be told that he cannot bring his complaints to God. You can. But do tell him or her to seek him in faith and to listen to him, to let God speak. As soon as Job heard God speak, he realized what an imbecile he is. He realized how small he is compared to God. He said, I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. 
And then God puts him to the test. He questions Job. He says, Job, do you have difficulty with my justice? Are you going to condemn me so that you can justify yourself? Tell me, Job, do you have an arm like God? Can you speak out of the thunder? If you can, then clothe yourself with glory and splendor and honor and majesty. And then you can deal with all the proud men and women on earth and unleash your anger against them. If you are able to do all that, then I will also admit that you can save yourself. In other words, Job, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't have the total picture. I am the one who made it all. You are totally in need of me for everything, and you cannot save yourself. You are hopeless. You are helpless without me. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God wants Job to see how almighty and majestic and great God is. And he wants Job to trust him. He wants you and me to do the same. When we see the pain and sorrow that his life can bring, when we see and hear about the many calamities and disasters all over this world, then sometimes we may wonder where God is in all this. We may wonder about his mercy and compassion, but know that the Almighty God is in control. And that only he can save you. Only he can save this world, and he does. The end of this world as we now know it is coming. But it is coming in his time. Job was eager to hear God's voice because he believed in him. But in his eagerness, he became impatient with God. He wanted immediate relief from his terrible condition. And that's understandable. Who wouldn't? But sometimes God makes you wait. He makes you wait so that you can actually hear his voice loud and clear. He makes you wait so that he can teach you patience. A wise minister was once asked by one of his parishioners to teach him how to be patient. For this man had great difficulty with that virtue. And so the minister said to the man that they should pray the Lord together for patience. And then he began praying to God by asking God to bring all kinds of disasters upon this man and all kinds of calamities as bad or worse than Job. And then after that prayer, the man said to the minister, what was that all about? I don't want all kinds of trouble in my life. I just want to know how to be patient. Well, says the minister, you can't learn patience without suffering and without uncertainty. There is no shortcut. Through it all, you will learn to trust in God and to understand how he will carry you through life in his arms. You will learn how much he cares about you. The previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 9, dealt with God not only as our Father, but also as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
As a matter of fact, God could not be our Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is anybody who can answer your questions, my questions, it is he. For he himself walked here on this earth. He suffered like no one else. We cannot begin to imagine the agony that he suffered. Whatever comes our way here on this earth is nothing compared to what came his way. Lord's Day 10 is a beautiful Lord's Day. So comforting. For here we have a summary of God's word as how he deals with his children through Jesus Christ. The Almighty God who created all things is our faithful God and Father, and no creature shall separate us from his love. And that statement in the Heidelberg Catechism is a direct quotation from Romans 8. The Catechism tells us further how complete his control is. It says that all creatures are so completely in God, the Father's hand, that without his will, none of his creatures can move as much as a muscle. Isn't that something? Hard to believe, isn't it? But it's true. And Job, once again, had to hear that from God. He had to hear his voice. He had to hear that God is still in control. And you heard his voice also today again from this pulpit. Brothers and sisters, listen to the voice of God. Listen to him, and he says that he is in control of everything also in the midst of pain and suffering. And he will see you through it all, for he is your faithful Father in heaven. Amen.